Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Here at The Spark File, we take pride in delivering high quality sound. The following is our first episode delivered from quarantine. Full disclosure, sounds not perfect, but it's a pandemic, so we're not letting perfection be the enemy of good. No, we're working hard to make the next episode sound like butter, baby. As usual, the Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. But we know you love that. Enjoy the show. <laughs> when I bump into something that inspires me. Jump in in my spark fire To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be I pump it in my spark fire I jump into my spark fire Let's open up the spark fire Welcome to the Spark File, your one-stop Zoom conference for creative inspiration. <laughs> I'm Laura Camion. I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're an OG listener, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are good questions, people. Mm -hmm. And we have got answers. A Spark File is a place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and all your fascinations. We are makers who make all kinds of things. If you're anything like us and you're making stuff all the time or want to be making stuff all the time, you know the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry. We're on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity. Things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this podcast. Or a space for peaceful self-compassion. Uh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> or a creative response to a tidal wave of rapid change. Every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you might just grant yourself grace and gentle permission to create. So without further ado, let's open up the spark file. Oh, welcome back. Listen, I think it's important that we acknowledge that 
this is the first time that you and I are recording from isolated quarantine. For the first time in Sparkfile history, we are not in the same room together. It's remote. It's 100% remote. It's remote, baby. It feels a little crazy. I, it's, you know, It's almost like, well, we talk on the phone a lot. Yes. I would say that you and I talk on the phone a lot. We can chat. You and I can chat. <laughs> and so it feels like that with just like a, a touch more preparation. That's right. We've prepared to chat today. But it feels like, um, you know, this feels like growth and it feels like adaptation. I think we need this lifeline like you and I personally. <laughs> I think we need it. I would be so bummed if we stopped. And I have to say that has been... Um, when all of this stuff really hit hard, like when the storm really broke, um, I was knocked down for about uh, two days. Like you got just, knocked out, but you got up I again. Got up again. <laughs> I did get up again, and I realized that I, like, we were going to be processing a lot of rapid change mm -hmm. in all different areas of our life. And I could either like get knocked down and stay down, or I could do everything that I, everything possible to convert whatever the relationship was, mm -hmm. interpersonal engagement, professional work, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I, I could take it all online, take it all online. So Woo. that's what I did. Um, I'm impressed by that. And I think you did I, the same so, thing. Well, yeah, but I feel like mine's a little less clean. I feel like I'm more of one of those like blow up punching bags that sort of like lean to the side and back and forward as you punch them. So like, I'm like, am I down? No, I'm up. I'm up. I'm, am I down? That makes sense to me. But let me acknowledge, I had those two like days where I didn't want to get out of bed and I have struggled subsequently. I have days where I feel like up and I'm mm -hmm. like raring to go. And then there are days when I'm just like, this is so much to process mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. So I don't want you to think that I only had those two down days. Like I've had several others, as you know. <laughs> um, so I also like feel like those flaming curveballs come at us and I have to kind of process each one and that makes for some it makes for a little bit of a roller coaster ride it does I think it's a choice every day you know we got to get up and we've got to um try to maintain a mindset of um well we'll get into self-compassion and um and kindness I right? yeah I just want to acknowledge that because we are recording from home you may hear some things uh, toilets flushing. When you flush the upstairs toilet, it sounds like a waterfall. Oh, in of my all the things. Of all the Just things. That we everything out but the toilets. Except the toilet flush. Well, I'm set up here in the dining room. So um, Wes may come in, like he may get hungry and be like, I'm making a sandwich. <laughs> uh, we'll find out. I welcome the toilet flush and I welcome Wes and his sandwich making <laughs> and all the other changes that are not the end of the world. Wait, I have to sidebar for a second. Do you remember that before all of this, remember the guy on BBC who did an interview um, live from his home and he was in his home office and his, his like four-year-old <laughs> daughter came in like beep, 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 dancing. And I, I just saw something video. recently that's like, 
We are all the BBC guy now. We are all that guy. I love that video <laughs> when that little toddler toodles in and then you see someone, yeah. might be the mom, might be a babysitter, I don't know. You see somebody just like trying to as elegantly as possible, but not elegantly at all, like reach through a crack in the door and oh retrieve my. the toddler. And if I remember correctly, that expert talking head was talking about something really expert. Like it was super really sophisticated content. It's true. And his daughter was walking as though she was like leading a, a parade. Like she was <laughs> punching the air, the ton in the air, like bounding in. It was so awesome. We are all that guy. Oh my God. I love it so much. Um, there was a, remember, well, we don't have to get into it, but I think the New York Times, Hunter, Hunter Bell was telling me, hi, Hunter Bell. Hi, Hunter. Hunter Bell was telling me that the, the New York Times, I've really tried to be very thoughtful about how much news I take in yeah. and what sources. Yeah. Otherwise, I have the next day will be like a dark day. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I try to stay informed about what the rules of engagement are and like the the real high level headlines. And then I try not to make myself insane. But Hunter was telling me that the New York Times, now this was some days back, which is the equivalent of some years back, oh put out an article about like do's and don'ts for online conferencing. And it was like, and people were like, boo, New York Times, leave the fucking room. We're all just trying to make it through the day. Oh, no. You got to go fuck yourself. You have no idea. Um, in any event, as, as we were saying, and as the rest of the world knows, this has been a lot to process. <laughs> We've all been required to process. We're just giggling. It's stress. I'm going to be honest. It's just, we're just releasing stress. But we've been required to process a lot of rapid change for some people, a lot of loss Mm -hmm. and a real, it's been a real paradigm shift in our lives. It's such an understatement. I feel sometimes like anything that I want to say feels so small and inadequate to capture what everyone is experiencing. Yes. We lead a weekly accountability group. And you said something that was so early on, so spot on. You said, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And everybody is at a different moment in this, what's going to be months and months long marathon. So somebody may be like staggered start times, like totally staggered start time marathon. That's exactly (laughs) it. And so I may be on the struggle bus that day and you may have got your seventh wind and, or somebody else may have be like running the marathon and found out that somebody they love is endangered or, or has, or they've lost somebody that they've loved. And so uh, that whole quote about be kind, everyone you know is fighting a battle. I don't think we've ever been more aware of that yeah. globally as we are right now. And it's it's so important to remember because it feels as though like we are all in this together. And that is true. But what is also true is that we staggered our start times. and We staggered you know. our start times. And uh, uh, we were this, th- I think early on people were saying, oh, this pandemic is the great equalizer. And it's not. There mm-hmm. are there are people that are much, much more susceptible to this, either yeah. because of 
like pre-existing conditions or they're immunocompromised or frankly, they're people of color. And there's a number of factors that are contributing to the fact that this is not the great equalizer. So I mean, economics. So economically, what people are experiencing is vastly different as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I have experienced a lot of very macro fears, like big fears for people, people around the world, fear of catastrophic loss of life, fear of the impact on the global economy. And then there's this like, it's sort of like if you look at a bullseye, that there, there's those different concentric circles. Yeah. And then a next level in circle is fears for people that I know and love. And then on this micro level, fears for myself and for my immediate family, my parents, for Nathan. Um, And fears about how we'd stay safe and healthy and how we're going to make sure we have food to eat and money to pay the mortgage and all that stuff. But I realized something after that first wave of fear hit that knocked me down for a couple of days. I realized that most all of those fears for the time being are future fears. That's right. They're Which I can certainly, yeah. yeah, I can, I can consider them and plan for them. But when I bring myself back to the present moment, I do find that I'm okay. Yeah. And yeah. like in this moment yep. and then this one, and then I guess this one too, <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, okay. And I'm actually filled with gratitude that I'm safe and healthy and I'm well in this moment. Yeah, so right. that is something that has been on my mind. I think that's a real key is not letting our thoughts get so far ahead of us down the road. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, regarding the Spark file, I think we've both agreed. We certainly don't want to pretend that the pandemic pandemic isn't happening, but we're also pretty sure that you all have plenty of sources for information about the impact of COVID-19. So <laughs> we um, don't need to be your source for up-to-date information. <laughs> on the Nobody pandemic. wants that. Nobody <laughs> wants that. Um, but we've decided that while we're going to acknowledge what's happening and see what kind of sparks come our way as a result of this, we also like the idea of having the Spark file continue to focus on all kinds of creativity. So yes, creativity and sparks in response to what's happening with the pandemic and quarantining and physical distancing. But as we move forward, also sparks completely unrelated to all of that, which may feel a little escapist, but we're granting ourselves that permission because we all get to navigate these uncharted waters in the healthiest way possible for us. So yes to staying informed, yes to processing all the rapid change, and yes to grieving our losses as they come, and yes to pandemic-related sparks, and and yes to... Yeah, I'm getting curious in this time, you know, it yes. may, you know, I, I it, it could be escapist, but it could also be like I'm using this time to get curious and it has brought forth these curiosities that, you know, may not have uh, sprung to mind in the past. And so we'll see. Isn't what that interesting? I, I love that. So it's, it could be sparks that floated by because you were like, oh, this wasn't top of mind before this, but now it is top of mind. We're going to choose whatever brings us joy and delight. That's um, right. That being said, this week, I'm leaning in. Okay. Work is all about pandemic creativity, Woo-hoo! response to all of this. Oh my gosh. There are so many things, more things in just this little period of a few weeks than we could cover in the entire run of the Spark File. So I just chose a few. Oh, I can't wait to hear. And I feel like um, 
I don't know. We'll see. You may have heard of these things. They may be fresh sparks for you, but my spark sources include um, wussymag.com, an article on essence.com by Kiara Boone, an article on laist.com by Mike Rowe, an article on businessinsider.com by Caitlin Wang, and a piece by newschannelwrbl.com out of Columbus, Georgia. Shout out our friend Austin Sargent who helped me source so many of these. We love you, Austin. I'm very thankful because there were so many to choose from. I was like, send help. And Austin came to my rescue. So thanks, Austin. So this first pandemic spark of creativity was actually sparked by your recent spark about trees, baby. Sparks about sparks about sparks. I loved that spark. And it made me think of a tree spark that I wanted to share with you and you gentle listeners. This, this started all the way back in 2013. My friend Suze lives in Jersey in a neighborhood that has all of those, if you can picture it, it's like all those row houses. They're not like brick townhouses. They're like those row houses that have like siding on them. Can you picture that? Yeah. Near their place was one of those rectangular dirt beds on the sidewalk where a tree is supposed to grow. Can you picture that? That I don't know. They must have a name. Dirt wells, dirt beds. I don't know. <laughs> um, but there wasn't a tree there. There was just waist high weeds and people just basically using it as a garbage can and literally a toilet. And it made my friend Sue's crazy enraged at her neighbors. Um, now, I want to be clear, you're not supposed to plant a tree in front of a place that isn't your home or your business. But Suze was like, F this ass. I'm tired of being a victim of this. <laughs> she, Yes, she dug and she got into it. She dug into that little dirt bed. She pulled out the weeds. She pulled up trash. She pulled out human waste. No kidding. But she, it's amazing to me. If you've never lived in New York or New Jersey or the tri-state area, people will just like, they'll like pop a squat on the bumper of a car or like in a tree dirt bed and they will just take a shit. And that's what she cleaned up. Sometimes nature calls. Yeah. Sometimes nature calls, but she cleaned it all up. And then she went to the hardware store and she bought herself a $25 maple tree and planted it. But she was worried that people wouldn't take care of the tree, that they would literally just shit on the tree. Oh, no. <laughs> I did not so just she, create a bathroom. I created <laughs> That's right. a very well-appointed bathroom. <laughs> but she came up with a plan to make the tree meaningful to people. So she worked with an artist friend of hers to make a sign that said, this tree's name is Irma Cohen. Please protect her growth. Oh. Yes. It's beautiful. And we have, I have a picture of it and we'll share it. Oh, I can't Um, wait to see it. And as a result of planting this one little tree and hanging this one little sign on it, all of this positive change began to happen. Neighbors who didn't want to get involved with the planting of Irma Cohen then ended up planting their own maple trees on the block. So many more trees appeared on the street. Um, at Christmas and Easter, someone in the neighborhood started decorating <gasps> Irma Cohen. Oh my yep. 
good. A woman ended up renting and creating a business in the neighborhood, a tea shop, because she thought the tree was a good sign. Oh my God. An arborist just volunteered to come and trim Irma Cohen, which Suze only found out after the fact. The the arborist like introduced themselves and said, hey, did you plant Irma Cohen? I I trimmed that tree. Um, So Suze was feeling pretty good about all of this, but it was never, she's, Suze is the most understated. She's never big on tooting her own horn or taking credit. And she wasn't taking credit for planning Irma Cohen until one day when she saw a, like a four-year-old girl come out of a nearby apartment building with her dad. And this kid was bawling. And this big oh. Jersey dad with his big, thick Jersey accent said, Hey, you want to talk to Irma Cohen? Will that make you feel better? <gasps> and Suze chased after them and caught up with them. And for the first time took credit and said, ha ha, I planted Irma Cohen. And then the Jersey dad told Suze that his little girl talked to Irma Cohen like every day and told Irma Cohen her problems and stories. And the dad said that Irma made him happy because that his daughter will get to grow up with Irma Cohen. And Suze said it was so humbling to see this guy who she would have never guessed was so sensitive by the way he looked and by the way he dressed. Mm-hmm. Um to see this guy and to like to really meet him and get to see a side of him that she hadn't expected. The tree brought so, them together. Cohen brought them together. So now neighbors want to donate to the cause of planting more trees, but Sue says she doesn't want money to plant more trees. She'd prefer that the neighbors name the trees they plant after oh. people they have loved and lost. Oh. So now on their block, in addition to Irma Cohen, there are trees named Ida Cohen, Lucky Lou Cohen, <laughs> Tunis Cohen. They're all names of loved ones who have passed. Why and are they all Cohens? They wanted to name Cohen after the Cohen brothers. So it's spelled C-O-E-N. Love it. Just as a tribute, I guess. I yes. don't know. I think they like the sound of the name Irma Cohen. Oh, yeah. But Sue said by planting this one little tree, she went from being enraged by her neighbors to loving them, loving the way they came together. And that even though ideally you plant trees in the fall, she is going to use this pandemic time to plant more trees on her street if she can find trees during this time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this sparked an idea in me, which is if I can safely get a sapling I would love to plant a tree or two or three during the pandemic so that years from now we can point to the Mm -hmm. trees and say, look how big the trees have gotten since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Look how much time has passed. Look how long it's been since we lost some people we loved. Look how long we've all survived. Because we will, we will get, um, we will get past this. We will. Uh, and those trees will kind of be a measuring stick of our growth since then. If we were in person, I would show you a picture of Irma Cohen and Irma Cohen's sign. But I guess you'll have to wait and see that with everybody else on social media. Okay. <laughs> Irma's really grown too. I was just um, uh, emailing this morning with the planters of Irma Cohen. Oh. And they are right now redoing. Uh, originally, she had sort of a box bed built up with like that pressure treated wood. Uh-huh. And they're rethinking that. And I think they might do like a stone surround on her. So, you know, Irma Cohen's being well cared for. And wow. Yeah. So oh, I love that story so much. I'm inspired. I feel like I want to plant a tree as well. Not everybody has That's access right. to the land to plant a tree, but if you do, 
give it a thought. And if you can get a tree safely, that's important too. That's right. But but maybe just a plant, you can take care of it, watch it grow. Don't overwater it just because you have a lot of time inside <laughs> your house. But um, but maybe you could say, look, that's my um, that's my pandemic plant. Look how much it's grown. Our friend Bryn um, was leaving town and headed to New Orleans to be with her family. And she left us an orchid and she was like, I'm really struggling with this orchid. They're really, really tricky. But she said, um, you know, so she's like, so no pressure because I'm not sure it's doing great anyway, but um, I do want to leave it with someone. And she's like, you guys can have it. And we were like, well, no, we'll take care of it until you, you know, until you get back. And Wes has been out there every day and um, feeding it little ice cubes so that the water, you know, it gets watered very gently and uh, a time-lapse water um, That's right. time release. And he, the, the orchid has blossomed up two additional orchids <gasps> in the oh. amount of time. And there are like three buds. And we came out the other morning and it was like, ah, oh, Papawi, one of those buds overnight, boom, Came Papawi is a word that since you taught it to me on the tree episode, The Secret Life of uh-huh. Trees, I have used about 70 million times. <laughs> but so I have more good. sparks for you. Oh cams. my gosh. Keep them coming. Another friend of mine who is responding to the pandemic with creativity is Simone Policano. Simone played my daughter in an independent feature we did called Augie. Uh-huh. Shout out to director Matt Kane, producer Mark Underhill, and DP Natasha Mullen. <laughs> my little love bugs who made that film. It was a joyous experience. Um, so in Augie, Richard Kind and I play husband and wife, and Simone... Policano plays our daughter and I love this little nerd bag. So <laughs> so on March 4th, uh, Simone posted on her Facebook page this message. If someone could tell me exactly how scared I should be of coronavirus, that would be great because let me tell you, Reddit is not so fun. Oh. That was March 4th, which is to say that she like many of us, we're feeling around the edges of this thing and just trying to understand it and wrap our minds around what was headed our way. Now, here's the, I want to just paint you a picture of the original spark. Around March 12th, so eight days later, Simone was walking home from her subway stop in Queens. She passed by her key foods market and she saw a lot of elderly people walking in and out. This was on March 12th. To use her words, we weren't in full quarantine times yet, but things weren't looking great. Mm -hmm. And she almost offered to go in to get their groceries, but she thought approaching strangers might weird people out. Mm -hmm. So she posted on Facebook on March 12th, 4.33 p.m. Hello, is there a way for an able-bodied 25-year-old to volunteer to help deliver groceries slash supplies to elderly tenants around the city? Does anyone know of something like this? Thank you. So her friend's brother, Liam, saw that post and called her and was like, let's make this. Let's just get together and get some old people some groceries. (laughs) So by March 14th, Two days later, Simone had posted this on her Facebook page. The healthcare workers on the front lines of this whole thing are absolute warriors and inspired me to try to do whatever small part I could to help. Two days ago, I started asking around to see if any young, healthy people in New York City wanted to help deliver supplies and groceries to the elderly and immunocompromised. And since then, I've been working on making this. 
invisiblehandsdeliver.com. Free volunteer-based delivery service for those most impacted by and most at risk for severe complications due to COVID-19. There are currently volunteers in many neighborhoods in Manhattan and Brooklyn and Astoria and in Jersey City. If you're interested in helping bring supplies to the people who should be staying inside most right now, please, please fill out the volunteer form on the site. The more people in the database, fancy word for a Google spreadsheet, the more ground we can cover. Please share with friends who might want to volunteer, especially because everything is subject to change. People's travel plans or exposure status could force them to stop volunteering. This thing is changing fast and we're all just figuring it out as we go. She said, this is a daunting time, but I've watched many small acts of kindness between New Yorkers over the past Mm -hmm. few days. Everyone thinks New Yorkers are assholes, but we pull it together when it counts. Oh my God, yes. So that was March, what did I say? The 14th? 14th, yep. Yeah. So on April 7th, which as of this recording was like two days ago, her partner Liam Elkin posted this. If you're in New York City slash Jersey City and you are elderly, immunocompromised, disabled, sick, or can't go outside for any reason and you need a free delivery of groceries, medicine, etc., go to invisiblehandsdeliver.org. Three weeks ago, I thought about the craziness of the world we were living in. I saw the bravery and heroism of our nurses, doctors, medical workers, and public transportation workers fighting at the front lines of this crisis, risking their lives to help out those most in need. Inspired, I wished I could do something good with all the time I had on my frequently washed hands. That's when I saw Simone Policano recruiting volunteers to help those most in need by delivering groceries, prescriptions, and other necessities. I reached out and we put up a website and a flyer. Immediately, people started getting involved. Community organizers, activists, lawyers, business people, PR people, all of them asking Mm -hmm. how they could donate their time. Mm -hmm. Within days, our flyers had been translated into, here I go, had been translated into over a dozen languages and posted all throughout the city. People reached out from around the country, even from Mexico, Canada, Kenya, Malaysia, Australia, the UK, and more. It has been a stunning reminder that when the world is pulling us apart, we come together. And by pulling together, we pull through. Over these last few days, oh boy, over 10,000 volunteers have joined Invisible Hands. The financial outpouring of support, they've raised almost $60,000 to date, has helped us start a subsidy program to help out those hit hardest by the economic shock of this disease. People have reached out, educating me on how to make our organization even more accessible to people who have been left out of this conversation. We're working on getting the software to a place where we can expand nationally Uh and potentially internationally to to maximize our ability to serve our neighbors. This all started with a Google spreadsheet of volunteers grouped by neighborhood whom Simone would text personally. All of this started with that spark. I have friends who are doing this, Suze. I didn't even know that your friend created it. Yes. Yes. Believable. It is amazing. When I talked to Simone, this has been a, this has been like five nights ago. So this number has changed now, but at that time they had done over 1,400 deliveries. Oh, my God. And she's doing all of this from her apartment in Queens where she is alone with her cat. I know. When I spoke to her a few nights back, she said it's not hyperbole to say that she is more physically exhausted than she has Mm -hmm. ever been 
she has had to set alarms to remind herself to drink water and to eat, but she said her spirit is so full. Um, but she's been at it. She's been working about 18 hours a day. And like Liam's post said, they had to get a legal team. They had to register to be a 501c3. And she, these are great words, Simone's words. They are building this airplane while they are flying it. Yeah. Yeah. They really are. She said all of it's been worth it. Seeing the gratitude of people who were so scared and so uncertain about where they were going to get their food. It's fine for some people. That's right. And if you're just like, how... In God's name, I, I mean, can you imagine if you're, you know, if you're elderly, if you're most at risk, um, having to make the decision about, well, I have to have food, but I'm risking my life by going to get it. Uh, it's just amazing what she's done. She kept Aww. talking about how amazing the other volunteers have been. The day that we spoke, she told me that a volunteer on the Upper East Side did five grocery runs and deliveries that day and was just like, boom, I'm done. Hit me again. Boom, I'm done. Give me another one. And was just wow. like, like, and they're doing it to, they're following CDC guidelines. They're doing it to the best of their abilities to make sure that the groceries are clean and wiped down. They, they of course practice physical distancing and, um, they even will talk, have their, they encourage their volunteers to chat with the people on the phone that they're delivering to and make that human connection because here I go. People are alone that people are required to be physically distanced, but it provides another service, which is a moment of human to human contact for people that are alone. Because you may have to drop the groceries without seeing or talking to them in person, but you can. You might talk through a door, you might talk down a hallway, like you might leave the groceries at the top of a stairwell, but not, you know, and people, there are funny stories about people wanting to invite the volunteers in for like a tea and they're just (laughs) like, I think that'd be a bad idea, but we can talk from this distance. Um, Simone told me that she was a kid during September 11th and she remembers how everyone wanted to help. And she feels like she tapped into something with young people who didn't just want to watch Netflix for the foreseeable future. And she believes that it's as healing for the volunteers as it is for the recipients of their food and their prescriptions. Mm -hmm. And and it's giving uh, people across generations who would have never met or interacted with each other a chance to come together. After 9-11, it is one of the greatest feelings um, seeing New Yorkers come together and what she's doing is such, you know, so emblematic of that. New Yorkers are resilient and and tough and care for each other. All of those things are true. And there is a part of me that's like, oh, now I know uh, this is, you know, I'm judging this even as I, as I'm saying it, but there is a part of me that's like, I'd like to be back in New York and instead of having left just to feel that feeling when you come together as a city. But I also know that's a romanticized version of it and I can be far away and appreciating it. From yeah. Here. yeah. Um, I wanted to share this, a little piece of real talk a week ago, Simone said she hit a wall. Like she got one sad email too many. Uh, and her friend who is a social worker counseled her that you are helping people, but you are not responsible for them. Yeah. Um, and it's something that she, you know, she fears that if something falls through the cracks, if she's not completely organized, if, if, um, she doesn't get to every 
grocery order that she could be responsible for somebody's life. She's she's doing incredible work, but she's also bearing an incredible weight of responsibility on her shoulders. She said that she's taking care of herself. She's doing her morning pages. She's doing yoga. She sets alarms for herself to remind herself to do like seven minute workouts. Um, and she also wanted to stress that we should be physically distancing, but socially connecting, yeah. which I could not agree with more. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it's good advice, but wait, there's more. Good news isn't only coming out of New York and New Jersey people. It's coming from down south, too. Uh-huh. This piece comes from wussymag.com, and the headline reads, Queer Appalachia, Wussy, and Southern Fried Queer Pride team up for big-ass telethon for Southern artists. And I'm going to tell you, you had me at big-ass telethon, wussymag.com. So I'm just going to read from their site. While COVID-19 affects the lives and livelihoods of millions, rural queers continue to turn to the internet and social media to showcase their art. Wussymag.com is excited to announce that they are teaming up with Queer Appalachia and Southern Fried Queer Pride to host the Big Ass Telethon to End Metro Normativity, a showcase of performance and perseverance below the Mason-Dixon line. So according to Wussy Mag, Metro Normativity operates upon the false dichotomy of rural versus urban queer existence. Mm, Interesting. I think Metro Normativity is so ingrained in our culture, you might not even realize you're seeing it because it sort of casts um, rural people. And as a rural, I know I grew up, the majority of my life has been rural. So they say metro normativity erases rural queer life and visibility. And I think they have a point. So they are fighting against the idea that queer rural voices are somehow less important and they're uplifting those voices. So on April 25th, they're hosting a live streamed telethon spectacular. As a child of the Jerry Lewis telethon, I'm so into this. It's going to feature drag artists, musicians, comedians, dancers, and more. And this event will be used to raise money for the newly formed Appalachian Southern Queer Artist Fund, an emergency fund set up to monetarily support the featured artists, not just during the pandemic, but further and beyond in the form of micro grants. And they are asking Mm -hmm. artists and creatives to submit a video of new work, baby. We don't want that old work. We want that good new work. Their website states, we believe that all art and expressions of creativity are valid. Woo-hoo! Yes, wussymag.com. We are committed to inclusivity and diversity and strongly encourage artists and performers from all backgrounds to apply. Artists will be able to accept tips through their Venmo slash PayPal accounts during the telethon as well. And though the deadline for submission will have passed by the time this podcast posts, the telethon will air on, mark your calendars, everybody, on April 25th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Twitch. Their handle is at and Metro Normativity. And, you know, if you have like an Apple TV, you can just pull Twitch up, right, as one of those little tiles on your Apple TV. Don't be afraid. It's a time for innovation and adapting to new technology. So get up on it. Um, <laughs> I also want to shout out to wussymag.com. That site is a spark file unto itself. Oh, I can't wait to take a look. So there's a spark for you. Um, awesome. 
Are you ready for another spark? Oh my God, yes. Spark, spark, sparks. This is a goodie. From an article on Essence.com by Kiara Boone. The headline is, the TikTok challenges keeping us sane through social distancing. <laughs> the way that people are responding to these challenges uh, on all these challenges across the internet is delightful. And the one cameo that I could not stop watching is called the Don't Rush Challenge. Have you partaken of the Don't Rush Challenge no. by any chance? What is this? Okay. In her piece on Essence.com, Kiara Boone says, COVID-19 can't stop a true fashionista. Black women across the country have been swapping out their pajamas for instant glow-ups to the sound of Young T and Bugsy's Don't Rush. By virtually tossing their makeup brush from one to another, they've been able to maintain their squad goals. In these videos, people are just like full quarantine, sweatpants, no makeup, hair undone. And they they have a makeup brush, like a, a big blush brush, uh -huh. and they swipe over the camera with it. And then when they pull <laughs> the makeup brush back, they're fully revealed. They're totally done. Head to toe, oh latches, fashion, all of it, Henny. And then they sort of give you a moment of like, drink it all in. And then they pass the object, like the makeup brush, or if it's a hair comb or a baby wipe or whatever it is, from their frame into someone quarantining in a completely different location. And then that person is full like sweatpants oh, and undone. And then they transform and then they pass the object and pass the object. You want to see them just search hashtag don't rush challenge and be sparked. There are so many different friend groups that are doing this and it's beautiful. Wait, there's more. Oh my God. There's a great piece on the website laist.com about the street art that oh, has sprung up yeah. in response to COVID-19. It's hard to describe on a podcast, but I'm going to try. Um, first, know that it is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Artists are working out their thoughts and their feelings about the pandemic in these amazing large-scale street pieces that depict... For instance, people kissing passionately through face masks. Um, there's one of a dude in a trench coat, like opening it, but he's like, it's lined with toilet paper rolls. So it's like, you want to buy some black market toilet paper? <laughs> so in Mike Rowe's article on the website, laist.com, he says, the streets are often empty, coronavirus restrictions keeping many Angelinos from venturing out. But when we do, street artists have been leaving coronavirus-inspired work for mm. us to find. Mm. The article goes on. Street artist Jerry Jeremy Novi says putting up his art right now helps him cope with how he's feeling instead of sitting at home worrying. Mm -hmm. Novi says, I'm trying to deal with my own anxiety and my own feelings of being disempowered. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We're kind of sitting here waiting and making art and putting it up makes me feel like I'm somehow empowered over the situation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, Jeremy Novi. Yeah. Yes, I feel that. I feel that so hard. Yeah. Uh, and of course, many street artists are accustomed to working alone. Uh, Jeremy goes on to say, street art always has been a socially isolating, socially distancing art form. And I was like, yeah, hey, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> another artist goes on to say that sometimes street art is also about taking advantage of an opportunity with fewer people out at night. Street artist Cat Donuts whose tag name I love, Cat Donuts, doesn't worry much about getting caught. She says, right now, literally, I could probably do a whole piece in 15 minutes and nothing would happen. Yeah. There's actually really no police patrolling except maybe one or two. And to that, I say, way to make the best of quiet times on the street, street artists. Yeah, no Just kidding. leaving something beautiful and thought-provoking for us to enjoy when we get to be out and about again. It's going to be really cool to be able to walk the streets and see... 
Um, there's some specific places in mind that I know, you know, where work often goes up. The gallery is going to open as soon as we can get back out. Um, and the last spark I have, I offer for folks who have kids. Uh, it comes from WRBL.com in Columbus, Georgia. And it's about a mom who was looking for a way to entertain her little girl during the quarantine. Mm-hmm. The piece acknowledged that it's not easy with kids asking questions and trying to understand what the hell is going on during this outbreak. So Three-year-old Indy Edwards loves to read a children's book called We're Going on a Bear Hunt with her mother, Tasha. (laughs) So Tasha put out a call to all her downtown neighbors to display teddy bears at their homes. And neighbors responded by putting teddy bears because most houses, a lot of houses have a teddy bear. And they all put their teddy bears all over the place. So each morning... Indy and her mom, Tasha, and her big sister, Ella, ride or walk through the streets and they look for bears. So there's bears on porches and they're really easy to spot. And then others are hiding up just like behind the blinds in a second story window. Yes. Other kids and their families are also bear hunting. And Indy's mom, Tasha, said it's something to do bless. And it's fun. And Indy knows it's a game. She said, we're hunting bears, but they are not real bears. And I just love this spark because it's one small creative way that people are responding to the physical distancing in the quarantine while still coming together to make something fun for mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Um, neighbors, man. Neighbors. Neighbors and nature and being outside. So during this time, though things may be changing rapidly and that we are all figuring out this new life in real time, we're all building the plane and flying it as we go. Yeah. We can still catch sparks and then we can take it. And make, and it. make it. And that is my spark for you today, oh, Camus. Zeus, those are so good and so doable. Like, you know, so doable. You can take an idea like that. And if you're feeling like, ah, I got an itch to do something, there are things yeah. in there that are like manageable to do. You don't have to uh, be superhuman with a staff behind you, you know, to achieve some of those, which is amazing. Yeah. Another idea that I had is just, this is so simple, but if you're making something, if you're, if you're making bread, if you're making a casserole, if you're like cooking something that's a little more elaborate, just like making extra and sharing it with neighbors. Uh, I know that's tricky because people have different dietary needs and restrictions, but, um, I don't know, just stuff like that, just to get a little dose of optimism and hope. Yes, that's what we all need. The spark file. The spark file. Oh, Suze, I love your sparks. I love those sparks so much. Um, And I love that it was like a basket full of them. I feel like my spark is going to be a nice compliment to yours. Honestly, like it's very different, but I'm going to go for it. Um. First of all, I want to say I am loving and honoring and rejoicing and giving gratitude for all of the people who are doing incredible things to help, whether it's making art or sharing art or creating charities that, you know, bring food to others. I mean, I'm just astounded by the creativity and the vibrancy that is happening and that you can feel it's palpable. Right. And the joy yeah. that they're holding and, and lifting everyone up. Um, I 
am in awe of that and appreciate it more than I can say. Um, but I'm having also a moment of, um, it's a little bit of die vampire die. Um, I offer this spark for all the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) I offer this spark. This one goes out to all (laughs) the rest of us. I mean, like, you know, for, for those among us who just can't right now, just fucking can't. And maybe they're sick. You know, maybe you're suddenly the only breadwinner in your family. Maybe you are suddenly homeschooling a child or multiple children. Maybe you're taking care of your parents. Maybe you're just trying to hold your shit together. What I want to say to all of those people is this. You are doing enough. You're doing enough. You're doing enough. I mean, thank God for people who are able to help right now. But if you are busy helping yourself and helping your family, you are doing enough. A few days ago, I read this um, headline in the New York Times that said simply, stop trying to be productive. Suze, I am not exaggerating when I tell you I burst into tears right then. I was like, but being productive is holding me together. I lost it. I really lost it. And I fully recognize the need to help each other and to find our way through this like as gracefully as possible. But there are other moments when I feel like there is an absurdity sometimes about this go, go, go mentality right now. Like when every single business that I get an email from, it's obvious like they're trying to find the opportunity in this. And individuals are fearing that they're going to be left behind if they don't learn to master everything, all this new stuff instantly. And artists are fearing that they, you know, have to be seen right now or make a ton of new art with all of this supposed downtime, which, you know, not everyone is feeling downtime. I have no downtime. Right? Do you have downtime? I don't have any downtime. I don't have no downtime. I don't. And I try to remind myself when I hear of like people experiencing boredom, I'm like, okay. And that's their reality. We had staggered start times, but then there's content creators out there who are certain that like, there's this short window of time when people will feel an absence of content and, and then they're going to get tired of too much content. And if you don't get shit out there that you will have missed that window of opportunity. It's a lot. It's a lot. I feel. And uh, this New York Times article, it was by Taylor Lawrence. And it thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. It essentially laid out this pressure that many people are feeling to like any of the things I just mentioned or organize their whole house, Marie Kondo, everything get in the best shape of their lives or write the next King Lear or discover the theory of relativity while they're social distancing. It's kind of insane. And actually, while we're on that subject, I would love to unpack the Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the self-quarantine. You actually helped me with this because I I fell... I fell prey to that meme where I was like, oh God, must be doing more. And you were like, girl, that is not historically factual. <laughs> Listen, Just settle down and take a nap. There's more to this story. The thing is that I think is important to remember is that from the moment that Shakespeare was born, he was surrounded by the plague. Literally everything he did in his life was done while the plague 
was ravaging Europe. So as a baby, he was really lucky that he didn't get it. His little village, the Stratford-upon-Avon, was torn up by an outbreak of the plague the summer of 1564. Just a couple months after he was born, the town lost like up to a quarter of their population. These historical facts that you try to share with me and I try to receive um, become so much more uh, understandable and readily uh, digestible. Oh, good. Because, wait, because of our context. Oh, not good. Like we understand, well, no, in a way it's, I mean, it expands my empathy. I understand things like wartime, the Great Depression, plague time in ways that I, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah those history facts, sure. <laughs> history facts. And now it feels much more real when you say a quarter of the village was lost. Yeah. That, that shit's really real it's feeling really now. Real. And it was woven throughout their lives. Like there wasn't a moment when everyone was like, okay, we're done with the, with the plague. Now we're getting back to normal. Um, as he grew up, He became a teen and then beyond that, as he became a professional actor and a playwright, and eventually he was a shareholder in a London theater company, the plague was an ongoing threat to their livelihood. Like, wow. At that time, no one knew what caused the plague or how it spread. And every time there was a little outbreak, the first thing that would happen is that public gatherings would be canceled. And given that theater didn't have the best reputation. Authorities were more than happy to shut it down along with the brothels and all the other unsavory entertainment. Apparently there's a famous preacher of the time who said, the cause of plagues is sin and the cause of sin is plays. Oh, snap, preacher of the time. During the time when Shakespeare did most of his writing, or I wouldn't say most, but maybe the height of his writing career, between like 1603 to 1613, the Globe and the London Playhouses were shut more than like 60% of the time during that decade. So that 10-year period, they were closed for like 78 months on and off. So you can see like it wasn't like, oh, he got (laughs) a couple months in quarantine and came out with King Lear. This was an ongoing, you know, the point of sharing all of this is that the plague was part of his life from day one. And no matter what profession he was in during his lifetime, he would have had to go about it during periods of isolation and quarantine because everyone did. And that's just how they lived. And of course, you can hear the echoes of that reality, like throughout his work in many of his plays and different poems. But also the fact is he had a wife and staff who took care of the homestead and the children so that he could pursue his work. Like staff took care of the animals. Someone else cooked the food. He was essentially just working from home. Um, He wasn't someone who like took on a side hustle during a self-quarantine while cooking, cleaning, homeschooling their kids and working their day job from home. Right? He was more like David Geffen, just quarantining on his boat. David Geffen's going to go on being David Geffen from his boat and he's going to be fine. So let's like lay off the pressure to write the next King Lear or the next Great Gatsby or the next Hamilton. Listen, if you have it in you and you're able to, please proceed. The world will be better for it. But again, if you are taking care of yourself or others' physical and mental well-being right now, you are doing enough. 
you're doing enough. I think this is brilliant. And if you catch a spark, I have friends who have caught sparks that are lighting them up and they are moved by the time sensitivity to make the thing. Like Simone Policano, I think about Heidi Blickenstaff and Nicholas Rolfing with uh, some work that they're doing. And they are on fire. They are on fire and they are, they wake up, get to work and they work all day until they go to bed. Um, But there are other people that are just process, they're using a lot of their capacity to make sure that they have a safe way to get food, that they make sure that their children are educated and just also processing all this rapid change, which does uh, eat up an enormous amount of capacity. That's right. And let's also talk about privilege. Like some people may feel on yes. fire with that idea and simply cannot take it on because their job has become more important to the household than it ever was. You know what I mean? It can be a million things, but I think no matter what we're feeling right now, it's clear that self-compassion is something that we're going to need to embrace in order to get through this. Yeah. I know, you know, Suze, like I sometimes struggle with self-compassion. Like I have this standard in my mind that I think is reasonable for other people and I'm kind and compassionate towards them, but I have this different, very unrealistic expectation for myself. Mm. So I sort of understand the idea conceptually, but it's somehow not okay for me to not be as productive as possible during this pandemic. So I say this for myself as much as anyone else, like I got to work on the self-compassion in this moment. Um, I read another article this week that was a source of some fantastic perspective on this for me. It was the Harvard Business Review. Scott Baranato wrote that what we are feeling is grief. It's grief. And when I read that, I just took a big breath. Like I have met this monster before on a very deep level, like when my mom died. And I know that experiencing grief can take on many forms and it can shape shift through various stages, like moving forward and moving backwards. And as I read this article, I just felt completely seen and fully recognized and why like we were talking in the beginning of just like there's going to be moving forward there's going to be moving backwards there's going to be like I got punched and I almost fell down and I swung back up and I got punched and I went all the way down and I stayed down for a couple days there's going to be all that you know yeah so for anyone who hasn't studied grief this writer Scott Baranato interviewed the world's top grief specialist. His name is David Kessler. He wrote, well, he co-wrote with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross the book called On Grief and Grieving, Finding the Meaning of Grief Through the Five Stages of Loss. This is a man who's been studying grief his whole life. He's worked in multiple hospital systems. He's been on biohazard teams. He's a specialist for the LAPD for traumatic events. He's the founder of grief.com. This man has really seen it and I suspect felt it all. Wow. So according to David Kessler, we're all feeling several types of grief at one time and it's important to name it. Um, People have lost their health or for some their life or the life of loved ones. People have lost jobs that they love. 
People have lost jobs that they didn't love, but jobs yes. needed to pay the bills. People have lost freedoms, hopefully temporarily. They've lost opportunities for personal and professional growth. Like I can't stop thinking about people who maybe had just taken a leap of faith in their career yes, or people who are on the verge of a career change or a big career milestone and the, the sense that some of those things got canceled and trying to hold the momentum of that through this um, unspecified amount of time. Um, there are people who've lost their vision for the future. I think of students and people who are just about to graduate, whereas like they might, the, the future might have seemed so clear a few months ago um, with a plan in place, but everything is blurry and uncertain now. Like the loss is everywhere. But there is a real power in naming it and allowing yourself to feel it. Um, there's a lot of people, including David Kessler, who think that like one of the downsides of the self-help movement is that it may have created a situation where it isn't okay to feel what you're feeling. For example, you may feel sad or overwhelmed, but then you immediately say, well, I shouldn't feel sad. Like, look at all the other people who have it worse than me. So I can't feel sad or I yeah. feel overwhelmed, but look at all these other people who are being productive. I shouldn't feel overwhelmed. What's wrong with me that I feel that way? A double arrow. So you feel whatever the initial feeling was. And then there's the second arrow of I shouldn't feel that way, or I'm mad at myself, or I feel bad that I can't control myself and my feelings. So it's a one, two. That's right. Double arrow. And Kessler would say, you have to let these feelings happen. Like whether or not anyone else is feeling the feeling at the same time doesn't matter. Even though right now I can pretty much guarantee whatever you are feeling, you are not alone. Someone out there is also feeling it. Um, but emotions need movement. You know, your body's like producing the hormones and the emotions are there whether you acknowledge them or not. So yeah, if you can acknowledge let yourself feel it instead of feeling like, no, I can't let myself feel it today. I need to get, I need to be productive. I need to do something. You know, if you can let yourself feel it, it will pass and move through you and move mm -hmm. right on out. Yeah. But, you know, as we, as we all know, what we resist persists. So if we try to keep it from happening, we're only going to keep it around longer. So one thing I found fascinating is that they have officially added a sixth stage to the stages of grief for a long really? time. Yeah, this is official. And a new book just came out, um, I think in November of last year. So for a long time, there were five stages, but Kessler um, and the medical community agreed that there is in fact a sixth. So just a super quick overview. A refresher on the stages of grief and loss. First of all, know that they are not linear. They don't happen chronologically. So you can bounce around within these within a day's time, within a week's time, you can go back and forward and redo them. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's real fun when you're in it. Uh, bouncing around the five stages of grief are denial, which happens typically early on, like this virus won't affect me. This virus is a hoax. This is an overreaction. This is ridiculous. Uh, anger. 
that's, this is bullshit. You're taking away my jobs and my activities and I have to pay the price for this. Like you can't make me stay home. There's bargaining. Okay. Okay. If we all just stay home and social distance for two weeks or maybe three weeks, everything's going to be better, right? We can all go back to normal. There's sadness. I've lost opportunities that I will never get back. I don't know how long this will go on. I feel alone. And finally, there's acceptance. There's no way around this. This is happening. It's out of my control. I have to figure out how to proceed nonetheless. So acceptance, as you can imagine, and as you well know, is where the real power is. Like, Rather than trying to have all the answers and anticipate everything that could happen, we can find peace in acceptance. Like, what are the things that I can control? I can wash my hands. I can keep a safe distance. I can learn some new technology so that I can work virtually. Those are the things that, you know, I accept are within my reach. But recently, the sixth stage of grief has been added, and the sixth stage is finding meaning. Oh, yes. Yes, right? And it came about because David Kessler lost his son. His son died, and he found that once he got to the acceptance stage, it wasn't enough. He felt yes. like he wanted to find meaning in his son's life yes. and in his death, and he, he wanted to give it meaning. And you see that happening now, too. For some, like the meaning of all of this is family time, like bringing their loved ones closer and cutting out the static in their lives. For others, it's being of service, and if they can help other people, then going through this will have been worth it. Amazing. For other people, it's slowing down. It's taking stock of their priorities. Oh, this is and their so health. good, Camion. This is so good. Um, for some people, finding the meaning is perhaps appreciating their bodies more, taking walks, and taking care of themselves more gently. Mm. Um, and all of this is true. All of it is valid. And if you're doing any of these things, you are doing enough. Mm. When I started to think about our section, you know, we always try to do what will we, what do you make? What do we make of it? Right? Yeah. Um, A little something different today. When I thought of talking about what do we make of it, I thought of a poem by Emma Zeck. You can find Emma at emmazeck.com. She is a self-described writer, spiritual teacher, mystic, complex trauma survivor, and a recovery coach. Mm. Emma wrote this poem that several people that I know shared on social media. My friend Lila Y shared it, Sarah Barella shared it, and many more. Yes. Yeah, I think you're going to recognize it. I think it sums up a really beautiful, what do we make of it? So I offer you this. With this open time, you do not have to write the next best-selling novel. You do not have to get into the best shape of your life. You do not have to start that podcast. What you can do instead is observe this pause as an opportunity. The same systems we see crumbling in society are being called to crumble in each of us individually. The systems that taught us we are machines that live to produce and we are disposable if we're not doing so. The systems that taught us monetary gain takes priority over humanity 
the systems that create our insecurities and then capitalize off of them. Mm. What if we became curious with this free time and had no agenda other than to experience being? What if you created art for the sake of creating? What if you allowed yourself to rest and cry and laugh and play and get curious about whatever arises in you? What if our true purpose is in this space? As if Mother Earth is saying, we can no longer carry on this way. The time is now. I am reminding you who you are. Will you remember? And that is by Emma Zach. And I'll just leave you with this. If you are following the guidelines to protect the public health, if you are compassionately caring for yourself and others, you are doing enough. You oh. are doing enough. Camion, that is gorgeous. Listen, there's a lot of takes on all of <sighs> what's happening. How lucky are we to be living at this time and observing all of, all of it. It's oh amazing. my God. I love you so much. Oh, I want to offer you a Kleenex. You can't. I know. You can't hug me. You can't Kleenex me. Oh, I'm just, I'm, oh, I'm thankful. That's so beautiful. Like, I'm so thankful for all the people who are doing things to make the world a better place right now. And I am thankful for the perspective that it's okay if we're taking care of our little corner of the world, you know? Yeah. That is gorgeous. I feel like I was a thirsty, thirsty person, and you just gave me a great big glass oh, of water. I'll give you all the water I have. I'll have to edit out just like long crying pauses. But, <laughs> oh my God. It's a, it's a really, <laughs> I was, I was doing a online appearance the other night and I, they were, before we went live, they were like, how are you doing? And I was like, I, uh, it's like I'm on a roller coaster and there's ups and there's downs and then there's inversions and loop-de-loos and simultaneously I'm swimming in gratitude. Yeah. So I am yes. <laughs> mixing my metaphors and saying I'm swimming on a roller coaster <laughs> in and gratitude. never more so than in this moment. Um, oh, man. Just swimming on a roller coaster. Cami <laughs> um, and I really, really appreciated that. And I, I oh. want to sit and think more about these these different stages of grieving mm. and i think it is beautiful that finding meaning which i feel like is right in line with what you and i we talk about it we teach about it but it is if you have to live through something mm. you might as well make something out of it you might as well make something beautiful right. out of it you might as well make something of service out of it it doesn't mean that it has to happen today but i think that this experience is a profound experience mm -hmm. that it's a marathon that all of us are running and will continue to run for quite some time and someday one day y'all might want to make something out of it yeah and i hope in the meantime you're doing what you need to do to care for yourself in your corner of the world 
And I hope you're also taking good notes. <laughs> Take good notes, everybody. Oh, oh Cammie, and thank you. That was gorgeous. Thank you. This was good. Um, back in the saddle. Back, back in the saddle. Our first quarantine episode, but not our last. Woohoo! We can do this. Yeah. Listen, everybody, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Is that it, Cameron? I think, so. I think it's it. We hope that this put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there is a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and fanned it into a creative flame, or if you've caught a spark, you're making something and you're sharing out in the world and you'd like us to signal boost it, mm-hmm. won't you email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, even better, thesparkfile.com. Mm-hmm. And you know we're happy to take your feedback anytime, but... There is a small price of admission. First, you got to share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can also follow us on social media at The Spark File. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, five-star, review it. If you like this podcast, oh, we hope you'll share it with people you love. And if you didn't like it, for God's sakes, go do something else. Go volunteer for InvisibleHandsDeliver.org. Yes. Yes. do it. And if something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we are writing you a four forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to be a creative queen. You got to be the greatest maker that's ever been. You got to sing and write and paint and live even in your quarantine, honey. You got to take, take it, it and make it. it. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in the spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark files. Sweet quarantinis, thank you for hanging in with us. As we mentioned at the top, that episode was our first recorded in isolated quarantine. We know the sound's not perfect, but it's a pandemic and we're not letting perfection be the enemy of good. Know that we're working hard to make the next episode sound like one million (laughs) dollars. In the meantime, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, Don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. 
And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.